I don't believe that balance exists. I believe it's wholeness. I'm whole to begin with, but I I have work to do. Wholeness to me is being able to be your own bridge to your heart, through your heart. Toward the end of 2021, I was struggling. I wasn't sad, I wouldn't say, as much as I was just really apathetic. All the anger, hate, and persecution and victimization from the previous years had come to a head for me, and my past had built me to take these things in myself and take them on as my own. And I was feeling too much negativity, or like I said more accurately, like a nothingness. And I wanted to make a shift, and I wanted and I needed to feel better. One of the tools I chose to incorporate into my life was a Course in Miracles workbook, which is daily thoughts and a practice. Marianne Williamson has an inexpensive program where she sends each day's lesson right to your inbox along with some commentary of hers. And it was really great, and I recommend that approach if you're busy or if you tend to lose momentum because it just kept you going you know there was something there every day and I knew I needed to get through this year it was something I needed to do to move beyond what I was familiar with and kind of learn from something different it felt like a leap of faith in a way but it was a great experience and I didn't always do the formal exercises that there were there was some meditations that would happen I mostly listened as I drove home from dropping off my daughter at school but I did listen to every lesson and I'm really proud of myself for that. Some quick background on the course. First of all I love the name. I love the name A Course in Miracles because it really is an in-depth study of miracles. We will start, I want to start by you know putting some vocabulary words to the meaning of the word miracle and through my study and through my perspectives and we'll do that because I think that's important for everybody to kind of we kind of have these assumptions about words and we kind of kind of get on the same page so that when I'm talking about it you kind of understand my perspective but first I wanted to kind of just give some background about A Course in Miracles and I'm going to take this from the website I'll put in the notes uh, acim.org a course in miracles.org is what that stands for a course in miracles began with the sudden decision of two people to join in a common goal they were both professors of medical psychology at columbia university's college of physicians and surgeons in new york city their names were helen and william Helen was the one who received the material, and she describes herself in this way, as a psychologist, educator, conservative in theory, and atheist in belief. I was working in a prestigious and high academic setting, and then something happened that triggered a chain of events I could never have predicted. The head of my department unexpectedly announced that he was tired of the angry and aggressive feelings our attitudes reflected, and concluded 
there must be another way. As if on cue, I agreed to help find it, help him find it. And apparently this course is the other way. She goes on to say, three startling months preceded the actual writing, during which time Bill suggested that I write down the highly symbolic dreams and descriptions of the strange images that were coming to me. Although I had grown more accustomed to the unexpected at that time, I was still very surprised when I wrote, this is a course in miracles. This was my introduction to the voice. And I really identified with this. This is Michelle. I identified with her description here. She calls it a voice, but it made no sound, but seemed to be giving me a kind of rapid inner dictation, which I took in a shorthand notebook. The writing was never automatic. It could be disrupted at any time and later picked up again. It made me very uncomfortable, (laughs) but it was never but it never seriously occurred to me to stop. (laughs) I totally get that. It seemed to be a special assignment I had somehow, somewhere agreed to complete. It represented a truly collaborative venture between Bill and myself, and much of its significance, I am sure, lies in that. I would take down what the voice, quote, said, and read it to him the next day, and he typed it from my dictation. I expect he had his special assignment too. Without his encouragement and support, I would never have been able to fulfill mine. The whole process took about seven years. The text came first, then the workbook for students, and finally the manual for teachers. Only a few minor changes have been made. Chapter titles and subheadings have been inserted in the text, and some of the more personal preferences that occurred at the beginning have been omitted. Otherwise, the material is substantially unchanged. The course consists of three books, a 669-page text, a 488-page workbook for students, and a 92-page manual for teachers. The order in which students choose to use the books and the ways in which they study them depend on their particular needs and preferences. The curriculum the course proposes is carefully conceived and and is explained step by step at both the theoretical and practical levels. It emphasizes application rather than theory and experience rather than theology. It specifically states that a universal theology is impossible, but a universal experience is not only possible, but necessary. And I think that's so true. We're never going to have a universal way that everybody thinks the same. We don't want everybody to think the same. We want people to be united, which is different than the same. And for us to be united, uh, it's necessary to have a universal experience of this unitedness, which is different than all thinking and being the same or having a universal theology. So I thought that was fascinating. The workbook includes 365 lessons, which is, I did the workbook, one for each day, but it's not necessarily meant to do um, at that tempo. Some person might want to do three or four days on one lesson. It's only uh, urged, the instructions urge only that not more than one a day is attempted. So you can 
you can take a year on one lesson if you want, but it says just try and do one at a time, however much time that um, takes for you to do. And I think this is an interesting concept that it puts forward is the course makes no claim to finality, nor are the workbook lessons intended to bring the student's learning to a completion. At the end, this it says, this course is a beginning, not an end. No more specific lessons are assigned, for there is no more need of them. Henceforth, hear but the voice of God. He will direct your efforts, telling you exactly what to do, how to direct your mind, and when to come to him in silence, asking for his sure direction and his sure word. So I just wanted to put some of my favorite key concepts of A Course in Miracles out there, things that really got me thinking, um, just, a, just a few quotes, and you've maybe heard them before. They're, they're quite familiar. But number one is the concept, nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. And I don't think it takes too many lessons in the Course of Miracles or, or too much time in pondering that idea before you get it. The idea that nothing real can be threatened. The true things, when we, when we get to the true center of things, I think there's love. I think it cannot be threatened. It, it stands on its own. It, it exists. It, it is beautiful. It, it just is. And nothing unreal exists. So herein lies the peace of God. So it's just this, it's just something to think about. I'll, I'll read it one more time just for you to maybe put it aside and ponder your own thoughts about it. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. An amazing idea from the Course in Miracles was there is no order of difficulty in miracles. One is not harder or bigger than another. They are all the same. All expressions of love are maximal. And I just thought that was so true. Sometimes we look at a sunset and we call it a miracle, or we look at our child and we call it a miracle, or we look at someone winning the lottery and we call it a miracle. And sometimes within ourselves we put this hierarchy about how big the miracles are or how much energy or effort it takes to have created that miracle. And the truth is, is they're all the same. They're all magnificent. Anything that was miraculous is miraculous. It's not like a little miraculous and a lot miraculous. And when I start to look at things that way, when I start to name things as miracles and recognize that I'm witnessing something that is amazing, that is unbelievable, then I can look at it in this maximum way on all levels. I don't just discount the small miracles, which there isn't any. The last little concept I want to just, you know, just to kind of tweak your thoughts about uh, the Course in Miracles is the idea that all healing is essentially the release from fear. 
That's a concept in The Course of Miracles. All healing is essentially the release from fear. I would have to say that I did receive a miracle. I did release fear. It was something that as I was preparing Christmas decorations and getting things ready for the holiday, it just all of a sudden occurred to me that I was in such a different place this year than I was last year at this time. Like I say, I was just going through the motions, getting out my Christmas decorations. I I recognized that, that I just didn't have any excitement for the season. I was just apathetic. And this year, as I pulled out my decorations, I got that little excitement inside my belly. And I started to think of things we could do. And I I even made this little calendar with ideas for fun things to do as a family, just to kind of make the season extra fun and extra special. And I haven't had that desire or I didn't have that desire last year. I just was was numb. And it didn't happen all at once. I didn't notice that I was in a better place. Some of the things that I can say happened this year was truly a release in fear. In 2022, I really feel like I started to accept my gifts and... I'm still learning how to talk about it. I'm still not feeling comfortable in it 100% because they're so different than anyone else's and I compare myself a lot and I don't even know how to talk about it. I'm still in that place where I feel like if I talk about it, it makes people feel uncomfortable. But I had this opportunity this year to work with a coach who just asked me questions who just said I understand and I believe you and what if everyone accepted you and what would that look like and and I accept you and I believe you and it was just life-changing it was a complete release from fear for sure that's how I would describe it I don't know what the future looks like but I don't have fear about it. So overall, I liked learning about A Course in Miracles and reading the workbook. It gave me something to do every day to just pay attention to this idea of all that was encompassed in a miracle and creating a miracle in my life. And sometimes I listened intently and it spoke up to me and it It had meaning for me that day, and there were days where I don't know if I heard everything that she talked about. I just kind of went through the motions, and I think that's probably the way it should be, and that's why maybe it's something that can be repeated. It can be studied over and over again. Um, Great texts are that way. They are meant to change and grow with what we are going through and through the interpretations we have in that moment. And I think that's important to note that anytime we're working with a text that lasts the ages, in order for it to help us, it must change and grow with us. And our meaning and interpretation of it changes also, and that's okay. 
if I had any sort of criticisms about A Course in Miracles, it was simply this, that I could just tell it was difficult at times to recognize the wording of the 60s, 70s, that things have changed quite a bit. There was no need or thought to putting pronouns of she or we or they when it came to we are the son of God. Uh, there was no need to, to say sons and daughters or, and I, I just found a lot of times having to, you know, interject myself into that vocabulary. And that was more difficult than I would have thought. I was surprised at how that pricked at my heart every time I had to make a special adjustment inside my head for me that I had to somehow switch that around or redefine that within myself or reassure myself that that still included me. And it made me really come face to face with the fact that I do think there needs to be a change there, that somehow the female, the feminine, wasn't ever meant to be lost along the way, that that was just something that as a species we are now trying to evolve out of and grow out of and sometimes growth is hard and difficult and uncomfortable but I really think it's time to do that it wasn't so much that I was offended it was just that I recognize that I am a member of a large huge majority of the population that has to do this kind of mental gymnastics every time we're talking about something that generally is supposed to speak to all people, that the direct feminine pronouns are just not always available and or used. And it was just noticeable. That's all I have to say. It was just noticeable and made me hope and wish that things can begin to change more than they even have thus far. So now I kind of want to go into defining what is meant by a miracle and just kind of get some, like I say, some vocabulary words to kind of get us in the same place. The etymology of the word miracle comes from Middle English and the, the ideas that, that are derived from the word miracle I thought was interesting. One, uh, object of wonder, to wonder at, wonderful, or to smile, to be astonished. And I was just blown away at the beauty of that definition, those roots, the root of the word miracle was an object of wonder. And when I thought about that, you know, we think of wonder as like awe and wonder, but it's also wonder, wondering, like something that helps us wonder and question. And I thought that was really interesting that that concept was tied into the very definition of the word miracle. A Course in Miracles defines a miracle. It considers a miracle as a shift in perception from fear to love. I love this definition. 
that is a miracle when we move out of fear and that we embrace love. And we can do that at a sunset, at our child. You know, when we move into that space from a fear and transform it into love, we are experiencing a miracle that is a transcendent moment if we are there fully in that moment. Uh, a while ago, in my own uh, journaling, my own writings, my own quote voice that I communicate with, I ask this question. This, so this is my journal or my writing. I have I have many journals. But this was uh, September 17th, 2017. And I asked, at this point, this day, this moment, I was, I was writing a letter to God and, and listening for an answer back. And so it, this day I asked, Dear Father, what is the nature of miracles? Some are convinced by them. Is that better or worse? Can I ask for a miracle? So I, I wish, when I look back at these some of these letters, I wish I had taken more time to go into detail and depth about what prompted this question, what prompted this interaction, because I'm pretty sure there was a lot there. But this is what I wrote. And when I listened, you know, so when, when I ask the question, I take a brief moment, pick up my pen, and I quickly write. I don't stop and think about it and then write it down. I kind of write just one word at a time, and the way that it comes out is always miraculous to me that it makes sense because I I am not thinking about the concept all at once. It's it's pretty much one word at a time. Or sometimes it will come all at once in this huge moment and then I'm supposed to write down and try and explain how what even meant what even that means or what that looks like or how even that worked. I prefer when maybe one sentence at a time, although I'm not a good writer. And so it's hard. But my answer was, Dear daughter, speaking plainly doesn't relate the same to all people. Miracles are my word spoken plainly. And that's what I wrote, but I still understand. I can still feel within myself the concept when I looked at those words when I was done and and the understanding I had. And... The idea that, you know, when something just happens miraculously, it just it just kind of jumps from A all the way to Z without all the stops in the end. That's just, it's just done plainly. It, instead of incremental, you know, some of these big miracles, it's just plainly done. It's just clear and precise and exact. And sometimes, no matter how crazy it seems, we aren't comfortable with A to Z. We aren't com- comfortable with things being so simple. And so we don't speak that language. And so we don't consider all the, the miracles that that exist. Or we don't relate to that in some ways. Or sometimes the jump from A to Z has time in between. Time is considered part of that. And so we discount the miracle because time existed in between those two. And we only think that it just has to be one moment. So both of those kind of definitions 
get us caught up in working and believing and experiencing miracles. And I, I don't know really if I will ever be able to explain fully the lesson that this taught me. But just to read it one more time, and maybe you can have your own experience with it. Speaking plainly doesn't relate the same to all people. Miracles are my word spoken plainly. So there's my definition. And you have a definition of your own. Maybe you have experienced a miracle in your life or know someone that has or is a miracle, right? One thing that's true is faith traditions seem to use miracles to buoy their legitimacy. And that's been something that's a good thing, but it's also, you know, if then that means that without the miracle, we're doing the opposite. So with a miracle, we legitimize it. Without a miracle, then that means we have to delegitimize it, right? We, it becomes false. And I think so many of us are looking for these miracles to legitimize ourselves. And when they don't come, it, it's there's some cognitive dissonance. It's painful. It doesn't make sense. That's one of the reasons why I even wanted to study the, A Course in Miracles, because that's why it was like I could sense in people needing to describe situations miraculously in order for them to be good or to, to, to create something to be good. And so what did that mean if that didn't happen? I was just stuck in that place. So I, I understand this has been the pattern for so long. It's like you use miracles to buoy legitimacy. Christianity with the Immaculate Conception and the healings and miracles performed by Jesus. Judaism with the crossing of the Red Sea, the bringing down the walls of Jericho, and Hanukkah which is the remembrance of eight days of life of light with only one day worth of oil after the liberation of the temple of Jerusalem during the Maccabean revolt. And of course the Passover was a miraculous event that both Jews and Christians call miraculous. Even the prophet Muhammad, he showed his people a miracle by the splitting of the moon. And Muslims believe that the Quran itself is a miracle. Because Prophet Muhammad said, every prophet was given miracles on account of which their people believed. But I have been given divine revelation, which Allah has revealed to me. So I hope that my followers will outnumber the followers of other prophets on Resurrection Day. <laughs> so with this quote, he was implying that the Quran itself was the greatest miracle of all time. And hopefully we got some ego there. Hopefully that miracle is going to convince more people than the next. I'm using the example with Islam in that situation, but I could use it with Christianity. I could use it with Judaism. All the times we're, we're hoping this miracle means that ours is more special than the other. <laughs> um, according to the Buddhist texts, Buddha performed a miracle when he admitted fire from the top half of his body and water from the bottom half of his body simultaneously before alternating them and then expanding them to illuminate the cosmos. The miracle was performed during a miracle contest between Buddha and six rival religious teachers. The very idea of enlightenment, this idea that Buddhism brings to the world, is this idea of enlightenment, and that really suggests a miraculous event. 
Hinduism has a modern story that is known by the name of the Miracle of Milk. According to believers, before dawn on the 20th of September 1995, a worshipper at the temple in southern New Delhi made an offering of milk to the stature to a statue of Ganesha. When a spoonful of milk from the bowl was held up to the trunk of the statue, the liquid appeared to disappear, apparently taken in by the uh, by the idol. Word of the event spread quickly, and by mid-morning, it was found that the statue of the entire Hindu pantheon in temples all over India were taking in milk. By noon, the news had spread beyond India, and Hindu temples in the United Kingdom, Canada, the UAE, and Nepal, among other countries, had successfully replicated the phenomenon, and it was denounced that a miracle was recurring. I thought that was fascinating because I had not heard of that. But yet I was alive during that time, and I had not heard of a miracle that didn't relate to me in the same way. It was this plain thing. There was milk, and it looked as if it was being, it was very simple or, or plain, as, as my lesson taught me. But it didn't relate to me, therefore I didn't experience the miracle. But there are millions of people around the world that did and that moment's very special to them, and maybe it legitimized something in their life. Hopefully, it brought them joy and peace and feelings of goodness. That's what I hope it did, most of all. According to HinduismToday.com, it stated that a miracle is almost another word for religion. For once one witnesses a miracle... The worship of God follows effortlessly. You know, it's interesting to hear all the different miracles that the different religions uh, look to. And again, we can look to each one of those and they can bring peace and happiness and joy into our lives. And we can relate to them in our own language and, and learn from them and grow and experience them. And we might not do that for each other. We might not do that. A Christian might not do that with a Jewish miracle, and a Jewish miracle might not do that with a Hindu miracle. And yet, the experience, like the Course in Miracles says, the theology doesn't all need to be the same, but the experience is vital that we're all, that we all understand that feeling of miracle. And that's what I was kind of chasing and hoping for, that feeling when I began my my work and practice with the Course in Miracles. So I wanted to just share a couple of the lessons just for you to get an idea of, of what they were like. This is, again, the workbook. This is the workbook for students. Lesson two looked like this or, or read like this. I have given everything I see in this room, on this street, from this window, in this place, all the meaning that it has for me. So this is kind of how it was. It was just a statement almost. And then it explains the exercises with this idea are the same as those for the first one. So lesson one, begin with the things that are near you and apply the idea to whatever your glance rests on. Then increase the range outward. Turn your head so that you include whatever is on each side. If possible, turn around and apply the idea to what was behind you. 
Remain as indiscriminate as possible in selecting subjects for its application. Do not concentrate on anything in particular, and do not attempt to include everything you see in a given area, or you'll introduce strain. Merely glance easily and fairly quickly around you, trying to avoid selection by size, brightness, color, material, or relative importance to you. Take the subjects simply as you see them. Try to apply the exercise with equal ease to a body or a button, a fly or a floor, an arm or an apple. The sole criterion for applying the idea to anything is merely that your eyes have lighted upon it. Make no attempt to include anything particular, but be sure that nothing is specifically included. So as you look around quickly at, the, at around you, just quickly at what your, li- what your eyes land on and then think, I have given that all the meaning it has for me. I have done that. So is, these are lessons. These are workbooks to get you to understand a course in miracles, a understanding of miracles. We need to understand that that meaning or the relationship we put up about everything in our lives has everything to do with us and not necessarily put upon us. That's an important step into understanding miracles. Lesson 91. The statement was, miracles are seen in light. It is important to remember that miracles and vision necessarily go together. Seeing miracles makes them be. This is another just opening your mind up to the miracles in your life. That if it happens without your knowledge, we're not going to acknowledge that. But I also, in my own thinking, realize that by me participating in it, I actually help to create the miracle. Because I believed it, because those people with the, the milk experienced that feeling of a miracle, then they helped create the miracle. So it becomes this cycle of, of miracle belief, miracle belief. In the, that's the best way I can put it. Lesson 184. The name of God is my inheritance. You live by symbols. You have made up names for everything you see. Each one becomes a separate entity identified by its own name. By this, you carve it out of unity. By this, you designate its special attributes and set it off from other things by emphasizing space surrounding it. This space you lay between all things to which you give a different name, all happenings in terms of place and time, all bodies which are greeted by a name. It's just another practice in the fact that you name things, you define things. All that is happening is happening in terms of your space and time and all the bodies which you are greeted by with the name. But that name is also yours that you give. So the word I use for tree is not the same word that someone in the Philippines may use for the symbol of a tree. They might call it something different. And 
The miracle is the tree, not the name. We've given it the name. And to make that dis- this distinction, we can just kind of open up between seeing more miracles, defining more miracles in our lives, when we kind of redefine or undefine things in a way. Lesson 249. Forgiveness ends all suffering and loss. Forgiveness paints a picture of the world where suffering is over. Loss becomes impossible and anger makes no sense. Attack is gone and madness has an end. What suffering is now conceivable? What loss can be sustained? The world becomes a place of joy, abundance, charity, and endless giving. It is now so like the heaven that it quickly transformed into the light that it reflects. And so the journey, which the Son of God began, has ended in the light from which it came. Father, we would return our minds to you. We have betrayed them, held them in vice of bitterness, and frightened them with thoughts of violence and death. Now would we rest again in you as you created us. So you can see how there it's a, it's similar to a scripture in a way, very deep, almost like you need to listen to it over and over again in order to kind of get the concept. It's almost like the words kind of create this concept in your mind and you're figuring out what it means to you and how it relates to you and the words that are familiar and things that are a little different. And I think all of that's on purpose. Its purpose isn't to just give you information That's why it's a course in miracles. It's a course in living a miracle, in being a miracle. But it's important to ask, or I don't know if it's important, but I just want to ask the question, are miracles always a good thing? And one of the experts on the Wholeness Network, Jeff Olson, was one of the first people that really challenged me in this area because I think you know when we think of hey would you like a miracle yeah I'd like a miracle and we look at it so I looked at it through you know I was looking at miracles through this lens of an ego I would say and then he tells me his story and you'll have to read his book knowing you can get it on Amazon and it's it's a wonderful read and it tells his story And the story is miraculous itself. But the lesson for me was this. And and quickly, I'll just share. He was in a car accident. Uh, He had his wife, two young boys. And in this car accident, his wife and his young uh, under two son were taken, killed in this accident. And he was severely injured and in the hospital and and recovered but and there several times during the accident and the recovery he experienced life through the veil he saw his wife and spoke with her he saw his child he 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 saw spiritual things that were miraculous they were miraculous and it was so much love and so much acceptance And so much peace. And he wasn't prepared for it. It wasn't what he was used to. He had no relationship 
to the idea of his own divinity, of the love that he deserved. You know, he was, he kind of had believed that he was trying to work toward this place of, of worthiness that, that he needed to, he wasn't there yet, that he was flawed and completely a broken being and not enough and still in, you know, still in a transition to being able to deserve this, but that was not his experience. And so he is a walking miracle. He, I don't have the book in front of me to read off all of the, the things that could have taken his life. He could have died. He's here. He is a miracle. And yet, you know, in, in his story, the things that really impressed upon me were, number one, that didn't make everything better. He, he did not have any less grief for the loss of his loved ones than the next person. And it also set him on a journey of questioning and struggle because what he thought he believed and what he experienced were two different things. And it took time for him to accept this miracle. And I, I never thought about it that way. All the stories I'd heard of miracles were just ended in happily ever after and amazing. And, and to be honest some envy. I had some envy for people that experienced miracles. I didn't even care. At some point in my lowest point, I didn't care the hardships they had to go through. Everything was better now. And that miraculous event that happened or, or whatever seemed like it should have sustained them for the rest of their life. And so when I met Jeff and he started to tell a different story that somehow made sense to me that somehow if he had to work to accept the miracle in his life, then I needed to, and that was okay. And that was actually the plan that it wasn't just imposed upon us that like my message came speaking plainly doesn't relate the same to all people. There was no judgment in that statement. It was like, Hey, some people don't get it. No, it was like, this is the journey to find the relationship. Because I'm just speaking plainly. Life is happening as a miracle in and of itself. And you come into this, the equation and create and call it the miracle. And it's not always a big event or, or something that is unbelievable that needs to be there in order for us to accept the miracle. There's a great series hosted by Morgan Freeman where they explore all sides and avenues about God. The who, what, why, how long. They work with science, spirituality, religion, and experience. They are just asking all of these questions about God, just as if they'd never heard that name before, as if it was something new. We're just going to ask everybody. It's really fascinating. I'll put a link below to this particular episode that I'm going to talk about. But it was a great way to, to watch this series. It's a great way to expand your mind and to connect with uh, fellow humans and look at concepts in their lives and, and to begin to see how they relate to the miracle of life and how you can now relate to them and therefore how 
much more connected you feel and how much joy and happiness it can kind of bring when we kind of understand, oh, that makes sense then. Now that I understand things from your perspective. And that's itself a miracle. The episode on miracles starts with a man and he's working as a window washer. And then he fell 47 stories or 500 feet and recovered. They explain in the episode that a fall of 10 stories is almost always deadly. So 10 stories is deadly. He fell 47 stories. And this man's survival was declared a miracle. The doctors, they show the, the, the uh, doctors coming out and, and talking at a press conference and the doctors stutteringly admitting this is a miracle. I've seen nothing like it. But in a very real complexity that I myself have found to be true, his feelings about his miracle comes with some deep questions rather than answers. They go on to talk about that his brother was also on that window washing platform, fell, and died. So questions of why didn't the miracle happen for his brother almost can overtake the gratitude for being alive, the feeling of gratitude. He may ask, what's so special about me? And if his life was spared for a purpose, what was that purpose? And he talks about, there has not been a clear path toward that purpose, and he doesn't feel this distinct purpose in his life. And that's upsetting to him. So does those, do those feelings, those questions, does that negate the miracle? And that's why, to me, stories like his and like Jeff's are some of the most meaningful because when you rewind it, you really can't equate out that it was a miracle that he lived. That is just true. And when there's a miracle, does that automatically come with other things? I think it's how we relate to him. That's the important lesson there. Or for me, in my, in my lesson, that was the important part, is that it's not so much about the thing as my opportunity to relate to it. And those, those people are helpful to me because they had it done in this big, miraculous way, this undeniable way, I would say, but that doesn't mean I don't have it in my own life. These complexities have been perplexing to me. I had to come to the conclusion for myself that the ingredient that decides if something is a miracle or not is me. I am the factor. I get to choose. I participate in the creation of a miracle. And at the very least, that part of me is part or at one with God. I wanted to take a moment to do some miracle affirmations. So I came up with just a few lines that I hope support you in your course in miracles, in your understanding, your creation, your experience of the miracles in your life and how you get to choose 
what is a miracle to you. Affirmations for Miracles I am open to miracles. I am open to miracles showing up in my life. I am open to love. I am ready for transformation. I am ready for the best year of my life. I feel lucky. I feel fortunate. I feel blessed. I am in flow in all I aim to accomplish. I am living my best life. I allow happiness into my life. I am overflowing with goodness. I open my heart to health and wealth. I welcome the miracles. find the wholeness library inside you'll find tutorials downloads mini classes and all sorts of streaming content for you on your wholeness journey 